Welcome to the Heavy Metal Strength Coach Podcast. Hi guys and welcome to another edition of the Heavy Metal Strength Coach Podcast. I'm Chris Kershaw, the Heavy Metal Strength Coach. It brings me great pleasure to announce my guest today, uh, a man called Ryan Townsend, who is the co-founder and the chief technology advisor of Shift E-Commerce. Uh, Ryan is, in my opinion, an innovator, uh, a visionary, uh, and a personal mentor of mine. I should also say that he's a connoisseur of coffee and hats. Now, Ryan, welcome to the show, my friend. Pleasure. Um, so just tell me and our listeners um, a little bit about what Shift is, uh, and then we'll get into your origins within the industry from that. Sure. Shift is a retail technology company. We're based in the heart of Leeds City Centre in a like gorgeous periodic building behind the, uh, the town hall. And what we do is we run e- e-commerce technology. So our clients include the likes of Matalan, and the the Open Golf Tournament, the the oldest golf to- tournament in the world. So we we help brands grow online and and actually help them with any physical retail as well. So we kind of cross over both the kind of the the kind of new online world that's obviously doing very well at the moment during the pandemic, but also help them out with their physical retail as well. And yeah. Um, So I think a lot of people find it quite mysterious how people such as yourself get into the position that they're in and thinking it's luck um, or they just kind of ended up there without any real direction. So I want to kind of demystify that a little bit and just get into exactly where you started and what justifies you being where you are today so how far back do we go before this whole journey starts <laughs> and you we're not we um, don't need to go all the way back to your birth Ryan <laughs> um well I mean kind of my first foray into technology was kind of when I was about 14 I started doing web design this is back in the day of like I mean I've even been pre MySpace pages or at least MySpace was like a new thing back then so uh I was like a mega nerd I was into like PlayStation games and all that kind of stuff and like, I had that kind of like traditional kids dream of like building their own game so the, the wonderful thing for me was that you know online there was all these fan sites for different games and I was like oh you know it'd be great to run one of these myself you know and and, and the web was super accessible so it was it was somewhere that I could start to gain that kind of programming knowledge and, and build up towards building my own game so that's really kind of the very basics of of where I started and then throughout my kind of GCSE and A-level years, um, started doing bits of professional work in web development and got hired by a, it was actually an old boy of my school, uh, came in to do, obviously he's a man now, <laughs> um, uh, he came in to give a talk about his career and, and how he'd got into technology, built this local uh, IT and tech firm. So he was looking for people to help him out with web development and I was kind of I suppose coming back to your intro about, you know, whether this is based on luck and things like that, you know, I was kind of there at the right place at the right time. What I would say is that obviously I did have the skill, so it wasn't pure luck. You know, you do have to have that combination of both actually 
knowing the correct things and having the, the correct skill sets and being able to capitalize on that at the time as well. You know, I could have been, even, even with the skills, I could have been too shy to kind of put myself forward, for example. So there is a, a multitude of things going on there. You know, I was very fortunate that that opportunity came up because I continued to work for that firm going through university. So I, I did remote working way back in like 2006 uh, when it was a fairly rare thing at that point. And, you know, that's kind of led into the rest of my career and the ability to, to run teams remotely and things like that. So that was really, really valuable. And then after uni, I went back to that, that firm and continued, but, uh, but yeah, I needed to kind of step up from there. So, um, a friend of mine actually reached out, um, saying that my current business partner, um, a guy called Shane, um, was looking to hire, uh, someone to kind of realize his, uh, technology ideas um and you know bring them into into the real world and, and and make them into real businesses um so that's when drove up to leeds met him uh we had a, a very extended conversation um, i actually told him not to hire me um because initially um he just had like a few projects and i was like this just sounds like you just need to pay someone to deliver this for you and then see how that goes um, so he, he took that advice and was very appreciative of my kind of candor there in terms of, you know, not just taking the opportunity and be like, yes, hire me. Um, you know, I said at the time, I was like, I it feels like the right thing to do is to, because it is a defined project at this stage and you're not thinking this is something that's going to be forever more hire, hire some contractors or, or freelance people to do that. And then a couple of months later, I get a phone call saying that the, uh, the contractors had kind of screwed him over. Um, and he should have listened to his gut and and wanted to hire me. And um, so at that point I moved up to Leeds. So yeah, again, that was kind of being at the right place at the right time, you know, having that skill set uh, and the opportunity come in to work for someone like that. It was kind of a multitude of effects coming together. So that that's, you know, and that's been fantastic ever since, you know, he's still my business partner today. Um, so he, he uh, founded Shift alongside me. Um, you know, we've worked together ever since really, you know, and that's, that's included, you know, going out to live in, in Australia uh, for a year and a half, um, and coming, coming back to Leeds as well, founding other companies and, uh, and yeah, the rest is, the rest is history, I guess. Yeah. So thinking back to when you were first starting to program, to, um, design websites and things like that, back when you were 14, how much time per day were you spending doing that stuff? Probably as much as possible. Cause I was just super interested in that. It wasn't something that was uh, like taught at school. It wasn't something that I felt was a chore. It was a genuine interest of mine. Um, and it, you know, obviously to me at the time was just a bit of fun, but happened to be an industry that was thriving. So it was very natural for me to kind of progress from there. What about it was um, fascinating by it? Like primarily the fact that you could, you could do very little work and have something that, is public to your your friends, your family, you know, people all over the internet, you know, the, because these were the old, the, the kind of early days of the web, not super, super early days of the web, but it was fledgling at that point, I would say, uh, compared to certainly compared to where it is now. Um, so it was that, that kind of fascination of, oh, I can actually, you know, with a bit of HTML, you know, I can, I can build my own web page about anything that I want. 
and people all around the world can benefit from that if it's you know some knowledge or something or people can you know i can build a little comment board and i can get these people from all around the world commenting you know and it's it felt like you connected with the rest of the world at that point mm-hmm. so that that was that was fascinating you think and that's the fact a, that you... a usual way um for a 14 year old boy to think <laughs> I don't really want to comment on uh, what most 14 year old boys think of. <laughs> uh, so did you have any inkling you were doing something unusual, something that would um, later lead you to be an innovator in your field? I mean, I, th- I think it's different to certainly different to what most teenagers were doing at the time. You know, I didn't really see many people kind of developing their hobbies and, and kind of early stage careers like mm-hmm. I was, yeah. but that wasn't, I mean, I didn't really kind of foresee where I'd end up today. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I couldn't couldn't really ask for more in terms of the way that it's it's all played out. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I mean, there was one, you know, there's I've now been able to have meetings with billionaires and and people who I'd never even imagine uh, meeting. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, chatting to boards of uh, directors at different retailers and things like that, yeah. and. Yeah. Can you remember the very first website that you designed? Oh, I knew you were going to bring this up. <laughs> yeah, so I was, I think I mentioned before, you know, I was big into PlayStation games and things like that. Um, my favorite series, as nerdy as it gets, is the Final Fantasy series. Um, so, and again, there was loads of fan sites around that genre. Um, so what I don't think it was necessarily the first one I built, but the it's the only one I really remember um is i built a little fan site for final fantasy and i built an actual um little online game um around that you know this is if anyone remembers neopets back in the day you know it was like one of the first kind of online web-based games um it was tremendously awful but um well i don't want to degrade, <laughs> degrade <laughs> the, the, the work that they've done there i think it's still going to be fair oh, wow. um but yeah so like i built a similar style game to that you know where but you play in this little kind of final fantasy style world mm-hmm. um continually getting banned by the uh the uh, it technicians at school so i had to keep changing things like my web address just <laughs> to get around all of their filters um so i mean that probably that probably even helped me <laughs> develop my skills even further yeah, so yeah constantly you know, trying to avoid the authorities basically yeah um you know anytime you're having to work in constraint you know within constraints you know that's going to drive you to to kind of innovate there so um you know i probably wasn't too happy with it at the time but you know looking <laughs> back actually you know they did help me learn other things so and then um after that uh, and going to university in fact let's let's explore that a little bit what was your experience like at university was that a major growth phase or was that um rendered with um frustration or somewhere in between um yeah somewhere in between i didn't really feel I needed to go to university. Uh, my industry doesn't really pay that much attention to uh, degrees. Um, certainly when I'm hiring these days, I don't really look at whether people have a degree. Um, it's, it, I don't think there's any correlation there. And actually, um, big companies like Apple, Google, etc. have recently actually removed that from what they look for. Traditionally, they they would only hire people with degrees. And now they just said, they did some analysis and they found out that actually there was no correlation between whether someone was going to be a good fit um, and a good employee as to whether they have a degree or not. So basically they've got rid of that because ultimately they're just cutting down the uh, potential applicants. 
So I did it more so, I mean, primarily because like my school and, and with my upbringing, both my parents were teachers, it was kind of the done thing. So it was kind of like, why not? You've always got this piece of paper to kind of fall back on to say, I've at least I've got my degree kind of thing. Um, I've never used it. And uh, in terms of the kind of frustration side of things, because I'd had all of this experience, um, you know, at that point, I'd been working for years in this industry. I found it quite straightforward, at least for the first two years. And I was originally supposed to be doing a four-year course with a year in industry in the kind of middle, but I actually canceled that and just wanted to get the degree out of the way, out of the way by the end of it. Um, Cause I just wanted to get back to work and I felt that like I could learn more in the, in the industry and in the role than I could from university. I mean, the trouble is there that technology moves so quickly that for universities to keep up with it, you know, they've got to write syllabuses and all that kind of stuff. And it takes so long that by the time they've written them, it's, it's out of date. Whilst it was a great experience, you know, it gave me a lot of freedom. I learned, you know, remote working and all that kind of stuff. Spent a lot of time mountain biking, which was a lot of fun. Um, in my final year, I think I had something like 5% attendance uh, to lectures um, and just taught myself anything that I needed to learn. I kind of taught myself. So yeah, it, it, it definitely gave me more soft skills. Um, I wouldn't say that the technical stuff I learned at university was very minimal, but I mean, that's just my personal experience, obviously, depending on who you are and, and going into that environment, you'll get different things out of it. So I wouldn't ever say to someone, or oh, don't go to university or you must go to university. It really depends on what you're looking to get out of it. If you were to go back um, to just before you applied to university and you were faced with, you know, the choice of doing the university course again um, or just skipping it entirely, which would you choose? Oh, I'll definitely do it again. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. I'll say the, the, the kind of soft skills, you know, the fact that, it, you know, it's my, you know, cause I went straight out of school, you know, it was my first real freedom, um, you know, and learning to cope with that and actually becoming an adult properly. Mm -hmm. Um, although I don't really see myself as a full, full adult yet. <laughs> um, you know, I think someone had a joke that was something like, um, you know, I'm an adult in terms of like, I pay my own water bill, but I still do lefty loosey righty tighty to try and figure out which way to turn a, a screwdriver yeah um you know i try and you know i try and stay fun and, and youthful but um but yeah that time you know i i learned to to cook for myself and all that kind of stuff i think uh my parents were a little worried about you know they, they bought me like a book that was like my first cooking and they were concerned <laughs> that i was just going to eat baked beans on toast or something um but uh but, i mean consist of? you are sorry what, what did your diet largely consist of at the time um bizarrely i ate a lot of pork chops i think it was just because it was cheap <laughs> protein so yeah um you know i think anyone in my kind of industry should be able to follow a recipe if you can so when, if you can program <laughs> when you're looking um to take on um new developers or people involved in shift is um, a university degree something that you look for at all no i mean obviously i'll read through people's cvs and see their background and all that kind of stuff but um it's not something that i would discount someone if they don't have certainly not yeah. um you know I've, I've employed people from all manner of different backgrounds from various countries around the world and all sorts so um you know we've got a very diverse set of employees at shift and and you know that's absolutely brilliant you know we we've seen all manner of benefits from having that so yeah absolutely i think people go on different paths some people you know everyone learns in different ways you know some people are better at learning in that kind of more formal uh, educational establishment some people are better 
at just picking stuff up, smashing stuff together to try and build something themselves. And they learn in that, in that way. Um, so university to them may not be something that gives them much value at all. So even if, you know, even if people do have a degree, you don't know really what benefit that had without speaking to them at least. So, um, you know, we try and match first on the kind of culture fit and then the skills kind of follow from there. You know, if you're looking for people who are particularly, you know, motivated, you know, driven people, you know, people with a commercial mindset, they'll be able, you know, anything that they don't know, they'll just be able to teach themselves anyway. They'll know how they learn and how they learn best. Mm -hmm. Um, So if they don't know something, they can go away and pick that up. So because we hire for that kind of mentality, it means that the the technical skill set, whilst it's important, you don't want to have to be handholding people all the time, unless you are specifically hiring very junior people but you know that they can overcome any obstacle that you throw at them. So, you know, it's, you can be more hands-off at that point. And ultimately you've got a better employee for the long-term because ultimately, you know, technology changes over the, over the years and, and um, the things that you're doing as a business will need to change and adapt as well. And obviously we've just been through a whole pandemic, you know, we've had to have everyone working remotely. So everyone's had to adapt to that. You know, we've had, um, you know, new projects have come in. So we've, we've, we've had to change the, the business quite significantly. And if you've got people who have, yeah, had this very um, straightforward education and, and, and uh, academically are excellent, that doesn't necessarily mean that they'd be able to adapt to those changes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's not something that I would really put too much value on. And I certainly never reject someone if they don't have a degree. Yeah. And what kind of character traits do you feel someone needs to succeed in your industry? It really depends on what kind of what what people define as their their success, I suppose. You know, people want different things. Some programmers just want to be amazing programmers. Some want to kind of work their way up to become managers or or leaders. Uh, You know, some want to go away and eventually build their own companies. Some of them want to stay in that tech space and and build like a technology-focused company with technology-based clients, um, you know, selling to other programmers, for example. Um, Some of them want to use technology to create things that they sell into non-technical people. So, yeah, it, 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 it really depends but I think one thing that's common to everyone would be knowing yourself and knowing what you want. Um, and I think that's one of the biggest problems we have at the moment with things like going into university is that we kind of push people from as soon as you finish your A-levels, right, the next step is university. You know, we're trying to keep these unemployment figures low or whatever it might be. <laughs> so, you know, we're not giving people that breathing space of saying, you know what, don't just sign up to any old degree because you think, I need to go to university, actually take the time to understand where you want to head. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the job market is obviously changing, you know, and, and we're, you know, we're having effects of the pandemic cause like massive change there. And, prob- you know, there's a lot of problems for young people. You know, there's, you know, I know handfuls of people who have gone away, got degrees and things that they were very passionate about and very excited about, and then ended up not being able to get careers in those industries particularly kind of our age group and younger have have been kind of sold that dream of like oh just learn you know do hard work and you you know you can achieve anything and and you can do anything and you can do anything you want and it's it's not as simple as that I think yeah if you know you've got to put in the hard work but you've also got to make intelligent decisions around that as well and the fundamentals of that is understanding who you are what you actually want to achieve in life how you feel you can get there, you know, what your skills are, what you're strong at, and, and even more importantly, what you're weak at. 
the best kind of leaders and, and most successful people in the world are the ones that can understand where they're weak and actually just plug that gap with, you know, hiring someone else or, or finding someone to, to compliment them. Um, so that could be just a colleague of yours. You know, if you know that you're particularly weak in one area and you've got a colleague who's particularly strong in it, well, you know, buddy up with them and, and try and try and use them to either uh, mentor you in that space um, or literally share your workload and say, okay, you know, I'm really good at doing this kind of work. So if that comes your way, push it over to me and I'll, I'll do the same thing with this other kind of uh, other kind of work. And then together you work as a team to, to producing the best outcome. Yeah. So yeah, knowing yourself is, is really key. Do you think um, with uh, without that constant need to um, improve and be more successful that you would be where you are today? Absolutely not. I mean, it, a lot of it kind of plays into imposter syndrome and things like that, where, you know, you're always worrying like, oh, you know, is there going to be someone smarter than me in the room? Mm-hmm. Um, especially having to put myself in front of the likes of billionaires and these directors of these massive companies. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously they've, bec- they've become very successful in their own right. And, you know, I don't want to be kind of cowering to that. But, you know, something that I've I found with that is that, again, it's, it's a case of not everyone knows everything. You might feel that everyone does, but if you're if you've been committed to learning something that you're really passionate about, you can quite easily, or, or um, you've got a good chance rather, it's not easy work, uh, but you've got a good chance of becoming one of the, the top people in that field. You know, in that instance, as long as you just keep applying yourself, you know that you can walk into a room and be the smartest person in the room at that one thing. So if you commit to doing that, then it means that no matter who you're meeting with, you know you've got one thing that you can support yourself with. There's uh, a lot of our clients are into golf and things like that. And I'm absolutely terrible at golf. Um, <laughs> to the point at which <laughs> when I lived in Australia, we went to the driving range, me and my uh, my flatmate. And it took us an hour before we realized that I'm left-handed and I need left-handed clubs. So I was like, this just isn't working for me. Um, so obviously, you know, I say a lot of my, my clients do play golf. Um, my business partner played it since he's, like 10 or something and he's he's absolutely amazing at it but you know i know that in most of these rooms i can probably deadlift more than anyone else <laughs> so you know that's that's the kind of thing that it's like okay yeah you might be good at that but i'm good at other things so you know you don't need to feel like you're just worthless effectively yeah. you know everyone's got something that they're not very good at you know and and has got things that they'll never be good at even you know even if they did apply themselves so you talked about um, important strengths for someone to have and important weaknesses for someone to have in your field. What do you think your strengths are? And then we'll follow that up with what your weaknesses were or what they are and how you're plugging those. Sure. So strength wise, um, I think one, one of the things is remaining calm. You know, I'm quite good at, you know, let's say having these meetings with billionaires and directors and stuff and not sitting there thinking, you know, sweating, thinking, oh no, they're going to call me out on something. Um, you know, just being able to calmly respond to any questions or, you know, provide suggestions and that kind of stuff. So yeah, I think that's, that's one of the, one of my strengths the ability to even just talk to those kinds of people in a, in a down to earth fashion. Um, you know, there's a lot of technical people who will go off with acronyms and, you know, talk about very low level details. Um, so understanding the kind of level that you need to talk to people at. Um, I think is one of my strengths mm-hmm. um, and actually being able to do that translation between, okay, this is what this person wants. How does that actually apply to technology? Mm-hmm. So, you know, living it across both of those worlds 
um, I think is, is, is a definite strength of mine. In terms of weakness, um, conflict, um, I, f- I find like, I hate having to have awkward conversations. It's something that I've been actively working on. Um, I think that's going to be, I mean, I, well, I've seen um, research that's, that's um, found this to be a problem with, again, our age group and younger. Um, the police, I believe, are having particular problems with this. Um, you know, they're trying to hire um, people to be out on the street. And obviously you need to be um, the kind of person who steps into conflict almost um, because you've got to be there to kind of disperse things um, and deal with, you know, people being very angry at you and things like that mm-hmm. um, and trying to calm those people down. Um, and they're finding that it's harder and harder to find people who have that skill set. Um, so I think that, you know, there's probably a degree of, you know, our uh, age groups being a bit kind of wrapped in cotton wool. So yeah, I'm totally- I'd say it, it's something that, you know, I'm very aware of um, and, you know, I've tried to try to work on, um, you know, that's one thing that I would say is a, is a, as a general point, a really valuable thing for people to upskill themselves is to, is to find your weaknesses and actually put yourself in a position where you take them on and opt into them. So rather than waiting for these things to happen, like years ago, um, uh, I, I did a talk at a friend of mine's conference in Leeds. Um, and one of the things was I was talking about managing stress and how my career had gone from, you know, working as part of, you know, just a, a little programming team to, you know, having these, these meetings with these um, senior people in leadership. And, you know, I, the, the way that I, I managed to get over that um, stress of, of, dealing with these people is by kind of opting into it not just waiting for those opportunities to come along um and being on the back foot when they kind of catch you off guard um if you if you try to push yourself even if it's just taking baby steps um you know you can start to become more familiar with those those scenarios and whilst you know they're never going to be stress-free you can just start to to learn about how you react in those environments and it's less um unexpected uh, when they when they do occur mm-hmm. uh, at what point did you realize that you were a web performance specialist and not just a programmer web performance comes down to you know making web pages load fast and things like that um and um you know everyone gets frustrated when when uh you know you start looking at the little spinner or you know something's not working quite how you expected um so you know with Web development, obviously, there's things like the user experience side of things, accessibility, uh, use, um, just general usability of uh, devices, web pages, etc. And those are all really important uh, facets of whenever you build something. And that's something that I've always cared about. You know, I've always wanted to be the best. Um, you know, at all of these things. You know, it's you know since the early days. You know, I wanted to have the best website. Um, you know, so these were all different facets of that and and you know fairly early on i caught on to obviously slow websites being a pain and it just was ha- it just happened to be something that i stumbled into and i like the the combination of um creativity and um the kind of mathematics of it all as well you know you can literally measure this stuff um you know how long does it take a web page to load in number of seconds and all that kind of stuff how long does it take for the biggest image on the page to appear and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and then that all maps back to how a, a a visitor to a website um will feel um you know are they going to be throwing their phone against the wall um or are they going to just be like oh brilliant this loaded really quickly i can get on with what i want to do 
there's that kind of more analytical side of it. Uh, but then in terms of solving these, again, it comes down to just general problem solving and creativity around that. So, you know, and, and a lot of this stuff is even, you know, you have to go, you know, it might be that in a big company, you've got the marketing department putting things on the website that slow it down. Um, so you have the soft skills and the creativity of convincing them that, okay, yes, that might make you an extra N million a year, but actually, you know, you're costing Y millions. Um, so, you know, you've got to, to balance that and get them on your side. So there's a, ho- a whole bunch of different skills that are involved with doing this. So it just became a bit of a hobby for me. And it kind of get, you know, it's like anything that you can measure, you can kind of get somewhat addicted to it in terms of like, oh, I need to, you know, I need to get to 100% um, speed or whatever it is. It kind of it ticked a lot of boxes for me. Um, it's not something that I profess to be an absolute expert on you know i'm not you know one of the the real leaders in the field but it's something that i know enough about that i can bring significant value mm-hmm. to the table for any companies that i'm dealing with and uh and yeah it's 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 one of those things that i can dip into in my own time at, you know whilst having kind of my core career around you know less programming nowadays mm-hmm. um so it kind of keeps me connected to to that side of things even though I've had to leave it behind a little bit in terms of my career. How have you found that transition from someone that was um, doing lots of programming to someone that is doing less? Has that been a difficult transition or something that you've naturally um, fallen into and thrived in? Um, It has been difficult. I think a lot of people underestimate this. Um, You know, I see a lot of of friends who are developers and, you know, they want to kind of go up the ladder and, and, you know, you get to a point at which, you know, you're going from, you know, being very senior at doing something to then managing a group of people who are doing it. And that transition is definitely the hardest step, I think. Um, you know, I say, you know, um, things like conflict resolution and stuff like that, um, you know, something that, you know, I need to get better at. Um, and that, you know, that process of switching over to be a manager definitely, you know, highlighted that and, and was something that I needed to work on. So, you know, I think there's, a, I say, there's a, I've got a lot of friends who, you know, I can see certain attributes in them that are going to make that transition very difficult. Um, and again, the, you know, a, a lot of people see that as like, well, that's the, that's the, the, the ladder that their companies have built in terms of how you, you climb up the company. Um, you know, I've seen a lot of, of companies now try to split it into almost two tracks. So you have like the the very technical track in this moment, it's not just in programming, it could be engineering or anything where you've got the kind of doers and then the managers and the leaders, you know, having two parallel ladders in terms of careers, you've got one where you go up the ladder of just becoming amazing at the doing side of things. And then you've got a parallel ladder that is more the managerial side of things. And there shouldn't be a cap on how far you can really go with the doing that forces people to go over to being managers because you know, if you if you're the best engineer in a company, just because you want to earn more money or or whatever it might be, forcing that person to become a manager means that you've lost your best engineer. So the company suffers there, and they pro- they may not be very good at, at um, being a manager as well. So you're actually then frustrating the rest of the team that they've then got to manage, and yes. um, because they don't have the skill set to be able to to do that effectively. Um, so again, that comes down to like knowing yourself. I. You, do you feel you're going to be a good manager? Do you feel like that's something that you actually want to opt into? You want, you're making a conscious decision to say, no, I'm not going to. 
um, keep programming forever. And that's something that personally I did. You know, I, I recognized that I could add a lot of, of value in the kind of product development side of things. Mm -hmm. um, and actually, you know, understanding requirements. Again, that's where my skill in terms of being able to talk to um, directors and, and other people and understand what they wanted on a non-technical basis and translate that into technical um, specifications or, um, you know, how they, you know, look at the kind of holistic picture of how their business operates and say, okay, well, this is how this will fit in. Um, you know, I saw that as, as, as where I could add a lot of value. So I, I specifically, you know, realized that I was going to have to give up um, programming day to day to, to go into that world. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, if you, if you know what you've got to do to get there and know that you're going to have to become a good manager, you know, there's all manner of resources out there that will teach you, you know, what the skills are that you're going to need, you know, we'll level up those skills. Um, you know, if you need to, there's going to, there'll be plenty of opportunities where you can start doing that before you even officially have the role, you know, just in dealing with your colleagues and things like that, understanding things like, you know, body language and being very conscious with the the words that you're using and whatnot when you're, when you're communicating. So yeah, I think again, it comes back to knowing yourself, but then I suppose the other side of things is just, yeah, giving up doing what you, what you got into this uh, career for is a challenge. And there's always that temptation. And I still have this today in terms of, you know, you can see a problem and you're like, Oh, I could just fix this myself. Um, you know, I could just get in there, bang some code out and, and, uh, and be done with it but then you are stealing that kind of knowledge and that experience away from the team that you're managing yeah so you have to be very mindful of when you step in and do those things and when you when you step back and say yeah okay this might take longer or it you know it might be done in a less optimal way but i've got to allow people to make their own mistakes yeah. um you know i've got to allow them to level up otherwise all you're going to do is is have that kind of void between you and the people you're uh, you're managing and never letting them fill that void with their skill set and yeah. develop their skill set to, 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 to remove it. So it's, yeah, it's really important that you understand you're going to be giving this stuff up and you're going to have to almost ignore how people are tackling problems or, you know, how long things take versus how, you know, how you, long you feel it would take and put a lot of trust in the people that, that you're managing. Yeah. It's, it's like um, in fitness and in coaching, um, it's terrifying as a coach to have someone deadlift their one rep max, but I can't lift it for them. I have to let them lift it themselves to either get that benefit or learn the lessons from injuring themselves or, or making that mistake and just <laughs> letting that rope go a little bit so that they can have that little bit of freedom to then grow from there. Um, and I think being um, someone in your position, um, it's, it's very, very important to let people learn those lessons. And it's like being a good parent or um, a good coach. And, and you just, you've given them just enough freedom to, to nudge them along rather than doing it for them. Yeah, I think that temptation to avoid failure um, is, is a really tricky thing to overcome. Yeah. You, you know, failure is the, is the best way to learn, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and overcoming that failure. Um, was there any big failures in your career where you felt like you learned a hell of a lot from it? I think there was there was a point where I took on too much, where I was still fairly involved in the programming side of things, um, but I was starting to do a lot of conference speaking. Um, so I was on the other side of the world um, and some problems had occurred uh, with one of our systems. 
Um, and it was something that I realized at that point, I was like, I can't do all of this. Um, you know, I can't manage all of this at the same time. You know, I hadn't been sailing all over the world, then uh, it may not have happened. Um, but that was something that, you know, we, my career needed to, to do at that time. So um, at that point, you know, had a very kind of grown up uh, discussion internally in the company and, and you know, we, we handed off that responsibility to someone else, basically. So, you know, that was something that, you know, had to kind of be, not, I don't know whether vulnerable is the right word, but, you know, effectively just be open to saying, look, I'm not going to be the right person to do this long term. Um, so you kind of, I suppose, humble might be the, the right word. Um, but no one likes to call themselves humble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you call yourself humble, you're the opposite. Aren't you? Yeah, exactly. Um, but you know, humble about what you can achieve is 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 what I mean, um, and how much you can take on, and and whether you have the right skill set to to continue managing that. This has been something that you know, obviously, at a certain level, a certain size of company, I was fine to manage, but then. You know, as we'd grown, um, you know, we'd, you know, we'd uh, uh, taken on uh, big clients and things like that. You know, it was something that no longer I could keep spinning the plates of amongst yeah. everything else that we were doing. So handed that off to, to someone at that point. So that was a that was a big learning point for my career. All right. So now I just wanted to delve into how you got into public speaking and why you felt it was an important career move for you. Sure. So it's something that I always wanted to do. I felt that that was the next next step in terms of being comfortable speaking in term, in front of people. Um, you know, I'd taken those steps to start speaking to to boards of directors and um, other leaders, um, but not done a room full of hundreds of people. Uh, you know, and obviously that helps promote my business and and um, my own personal brand as well going forwards. So I felt that that was going to be a really valuable thing to do. I already started blogging, you know, and I felt that each time that I wrote a blog post, I always learned something. I'm sure it's the same with, with your blog. Um, you know, you, you're always questioning what you're writing, you know, before you put it out there, you don't just blindly write something and then chuck it out. You're thinking, hmm, you know, is someone going to question this? Is someone going to... It's a constantly terrifying process, I find, because <laughs> it's that it's that imposter syndrome and it's... Before every time um, I do a talk, I assume that everything on there is absolute rubbish until I deliver it to something else and or to someone else. And then you you get the feedback and you learn from it from there. So um, I completely agree with that. So it, I'd say it was something in the back of my mind. And then uh, Harry Roberts, who I believe you've had on a previous podcast. Yes. Um, good friend of mine. Um, he runs a conference here in Leeds um, and I don't know whether he'll be happy men me mentioning this, but uh, he'd totally forgotten to organize some lightning speakers. Mm. So the Friday before the Monday, which was his conference, he got in touch just to say, hey, you know, I know you'd be interested in speaking at some point. How about you speak on Monday? To which I said, well, as long as you help me write my talk, because he's a very seasoned speaker mm -hmm. and he flies all around the world doing it. Um, so, so yeah, so over that weekend, uh, wrote the uh, talk. And uh, went over by, I think, three times. I think it was supposed to be five minutes. And I, I took 15, um, <laughs> which is, is to be expected. L luckily, the other two guys were, uh, were a bit quicker. Um, so yeah, I didn't get kicked off stage or anything like that. <laughs> but yeah, so that, that was kind of the, my first kind of foray into doing that. Mm -hmm. um, and then 
uh, from there, Harry helped me get in touch with other conferences um, around the world, started doing speaking for those, ended up speaking at um, a conference called Dreamforce in San Francisco, um, which has something like 180,000 attendees and they didn't all come to my talk um but, uh, you know they they have speak like i think one year i was there they had people like natalie portman speaking they've had uh, ashton kutcher they've had barack obama i think michelle obama as well you know just amazing people but uh but yeah so i had you know had one room as this whole conference was going on i think there's probably something like 50 parallel talks at any one time yeah. um, over the course of a week so you know that was a massive leap at that point going from some you know a lot of other tech conferences which are smaller maybe the same audience for me um because the rooms would be you know similar sizes but uh you know that, that was a, a lot more informal and it was a case of you know you just um you know write a speech and, and they'd just know that you turn up and, and deliver it whereas with dreamforce it was very much they had you had to rehearse and and show them uh the speech before they'd approve uh, you to go on stage or anything like that so uh so yeah i mean that that kind of kept leveling up and then of course the uh, uh the pandemics hit so this year i've i've not done any any conferences but i've i've started to have to be more picky and choosy and, and and limit how many I do each year just because obviously I've got to focus on my business at the same time so you know I can't be just jet setting all around the world um, and letting other things go so, so what do you think will fill that void going forward will it be some kind of video series some kind of maybe podcasting what's what's uh, spinning around in your brain mate uh, leading question <laughs> yeah I mean I've um, as part of the, the lockdown and everything, I've invested heavily in my kind of home study, um, you know, setting up professional grade cameras and microphone equipment and all sorts of stuff. Yeah. So I'm surrounded by um, soundproofing materials to make sure that we don't have echo and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I, I say I've invested in all of this stuff um, and done that primarily for, um, you know, looking more professional in in video calls and, and meetings that I'm having to have. Mm-hmm. Um but, but yeah, I think I can use all of that to start recording videos. I've got a few planned out already, you know, and probably publish those up to, to YouTube or something like that and just start um, broadcasting this stuff. But it's one of those things where I don't want to start doing that until I've built a body of content. No one likes it when you release one thing and then it's like two months before the next thing comes out. Um, so I'm looking very much to kind of producing the initial set and then, then I'll start releasing that stuff out. Um, so we are definitely going to overrun the hour mark right now, but I think this is a very important question. Um, is there any mentors that you want to give a shout out to anyone that was important along the way to get you where you are today um, or anyone that's been just majorly influential? I'm just going to leave the floor to you um, just to talk about a few of those people or one of those people. Um, yeah, I think Shane, my business partner, um, has been a, a massive mentor to me. You know, we've been working together for for years and years now i say we i even moved out to australia to to continue working with him um because he was opening a branch of his his previous business over there throughout that process he's involved me in all manner of different things that i wouldn't that you know in a traditional role you wouldn't necessarily get involved in um you know there's plenty that i could say oh you know that's not my job or he would just think that but he's he's offered me the opportunity to get involved with and you know, I've, I've even, you know, I've asked for that kind of thing uh, from time to time as well to, to give me that breadth of knowledge about whether it be anything like how to run a business, how to do marketing, sales, all of that kind of thing. So that's been tremendously valuable and, and it continues today. 
I mentioned Harry in terms of conference speaking, you know, I wouldn't have been able to, to get, I think I've probably done about 40 odd conferences at this point. I wouldn't have been able to, to get all of those under my belt without him coaching me. And then also actually promoting me to those conferences as well and, and making recommendations that they um, offer me a, a slot on their, on their lineup. So, yeah, I think those, those two people, obviously there's yourself in terms of the, the, um, coaching side of things for um, training you know I've, I remember when when we started you know I was just training in the gym and I wasn't deadlifting a great deal I was strapped up you know for like 130 kilos or something <laughs> um, and uh, yeah that that initial abuse that led to uh, <laughs> to me taking you on as a as a PT but um, you know now I'm in the position you know um, you know we were chatting the other day you know I had a session just to train on my own um, and, you know, I can just sling together my own plan now and, and actually do something. I mean, it's lo- usually largely based on what we've been doing in the past anyway, but, you know, I can now train myself effectively um, in the times when uh, you're not available. So, you know, there's a, there's a lot of knowledge that you've been able to impart there. Yeah, so I'd say you three uh, are all mentors to me. Um, and then... Uh, I suppose I'd like to just give a shout out to my team as well. They, whilst they're not kind of traditional mentors, um, you know, they keep pushing uh, technology forwards and I learn things from them on a daily basis. There's tremendous value that they provide to me beyond just the work that they do. See that as immensely valuable. Yeah, what a great answer. So for anyone looking to find out more about um, shift about Ryan Townsend about anyone that you've uh, uh, that you're working with at the moment where can people find out more information about that um, sure so the shift website is shiftcommerce.com um, it's just a little holding page with a few links on it I'm on Twitter as just Ryan Townsend so if anyone wants to reach out that way deleted Facebook a while ago so that's no longer an option <laughs> um, or just you know the usual kind of LinkedIn and all that kind of stuff so so yeah, um, I suppose this is my site as well. I do a bit of blogging on there so you can read my articles and uh, see where I've previously spoken, although there's nothing upcoming at the moment. Um, so that's just at twnsnd.com. Uh, so basically my last name with all the vowels taken out because yep. um, apparently that was trendy at one point. <laughs> um, so uh, so yeah, um, but yeah, if, if anyone has any kind of questions or feedback or suggestions you know i'd love to love to hear from anyone that's amazing and all those links will be in the show notes as well so ryan townsend thank you so much for joining me my friend absolute pleasure thank you for listening to the heavy metal strength coach podcast